What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world's best podcast with Jack and Reno. I'm Jack. And I'm Reno. And we're two dudes in our mid-20s who don't know shit, but are doing our best to figure this life thing out. We are so glad to have you along for the ride. Let's get it fired up! Yo, yo. Hello. What's up, man? So. Just sitting out by the pool. Yep, nice. You got your, uh, hey, your uncle's new place, right? Yeah, it's pretty dialed in. Um, Dude, I know you want to get in your political book, but I just want to make, or the the book you just read, The System. I just want to make one comment, though. It's funny down here in Arizona at the bars and stuff. Um. Like Portland, everything's shut down at 10, but like you can kind of like socialize and like move from table to table mm-hmm. a little bit, you know. But here it's like it's open till 2 a.m., but because they got in some trouble a little bit ago, um, it's like if you stand up from your table, like there's like security people like immediately sitting you back down. What? It's pretty funny. Yeah, Wait, like, every, like funny. so they make sure you stay in one spot. Yeah. So, wait, so Arizona yeah, got yeah. in trouble with a bar? Like all of Scottsdale, not all of Arizona. It was like Scottsdale. Like Scottsdale just blew up in cases, and they 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 basically when they first opened up had no rules or regulations, and then every, then like it was like the OLCC came and said, yeah, no, this Damn. isn't happening, and shut everybody down, and then they allowed them to reopen, but then like, they have guards made sure it was <laughs> uh, yeah. Damn. Well, yeah. Let's. So I want to jump into this book here, the system. Uh, I would be right and. I did like this. I, I like the book. I think that um, I think he has some solid some solid points here. So basically, the premise of it is that the overall premise is that corporations, the top few corporations, are controlling policy far more than uh, than U.S. citizens. And I think people kind of feel this way, but he outlines in the book just a little bit more specifically how it happens. And he points out how he says, you know, people think that, so there's the common perception that we basically control the United States with our vote. And so if somebody, the idea being that, you know, if we know somebody who is being heavily influenced by corporations is not taking care of people and policies and uh, healthcare, whatever it is, solving problems, then we go, okay, we're voting you out. We're voting in this new guy who is, who's going to get it done. Well, it kind of points out in the book, he says, well, these biggest corporations, they pay both sides. They pay everybody. So it doesn't really matter what senator representative that you vote for. They paid for every single one of them. So it doesn't matter if it's Democrat wins, Republican wins, any of them. And then, and then even independents, even um, Green Party, whoever, basically what would happen to them, they can claim, oh, hey, you know what? I'm not bought and paid for. It's like, yeah, you're not yet. But if you ever got elected in the office, pretty soon you would be. And it got me thinking about how, it got me thinking about how you go about solving this. Because it kind of points out how this connection of how corporations, basically points out how the connection of, I'm getting a ton of feedback. There we go. Um, he basically points out how corporations are 
convincing are basically basically this control over the government is what is widening the income inequality gap. And he kind of points out how that is going to be a problem. And so it kind of made me think, okay, so how do we get, how can you actually get money, Mm -hmm. some of this money outside of politics? Because the people who are making the money are the only people that could get rid of it, but they're never going to get rid of it because they want more of the money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I think well, at least... Yeah, well, like, you, you can't ever get someone like, who's uncorruptible or unviable. I think... And un- I don't think I, there's... I, you know, maybe there's un- people un- like Bernie who seem close, but I think persuasion... Who? I would argue Trump is the person that has the biggest uh, case for that. I could say so. Trump would be the person I would think would have the biggest case for that. A guy that's already well, already it's not necessarily like here's your money goes this like, way. Take it's sort of like the guy that has no money. No, the guy that has Trump has he, he could be he could be persuading corruption in a different way. But you you do have a good point. But it's not going to be like well bought in the sense of like you know J P Morgan isn't going to invest. Or give you know, credit another credit line for this bot. or that business, or he's not going to get. They're not going to give a credit line for Ivanka's new business she wants to start. Things like that. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily like here's your money, here you go. It's what do you care about, and then how do I influence that? Especially as a banker. Well, okay, yeah, but the point you were making was like... So if that's what I was saying, then I need more time to explain what I mean. Like Trump would be the person that's the least immune to like direct donations. So the persuasion that happens and where they're bought is people go, oh, well... Okay, so so that's where I'm at. The NRA just walks up to Ted Cruz and goes, here is $3 million, vote for, vote pro-gun. And he goes, okay, NRA, I'll do that. And while that happens sometimes, that's a little bit above board and people can kind of tell that's happening. And when more people can tell you're being bought blatantly, it's a little bit easier to sort out who is be, who's kind of bought and paid for. Let's say really where the persuasion comes in is a mixture where you have, they say, hey, come speak at this event with a bunch of bank executives. And they go, yeah, sure. And they pay them $250,000 for speech. So there's a straight donation. But then what you also have is the bankers have more time, more face time, these lobbyists have more face time with people and people naturally think the more they hear about a problem, the more important it is and the bigger problem that it is. And the more you hear of a solution, the more you think, well, that's correct. That's the correct solution. And so really it's them paying for the face time to convince politicians in and, and in addition to them giving them just straight up, here's a million dollars for a speech. So what you're describing to me, in my mind, is like, 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 okay. Why is it so bad that a that a, if you listen to all of his constituents, his constituents that would be fine. problems and then provide the solutions but that they one constituent 
is going to be a problem. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, unless that one person was like, like, like say if it's like the, say one constituent is the leader of, um, well, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. charity groups that I have faith in, but uh, uh, let's go with like the Boys and Girls Club. I really like that one. Okay, like the leader of the Boys and Girls Club, right? Like they just have a, like a single leader, I'm sure. I'm, I'm not actually positive, but I think they do like have a chairman or a if president that was or whatever. one of um, others. That seems like yes. one constituent that, even that, that would benefit a lot of people. Well, but think about this. His problems and his group's problems are different but he's than a lot of other people's group. problems. So that he's a great constituent to listen to. But the problem is that if that's one of five or that, or you listen to 50% of the time, you're talking to that constituent, you're going to see their problems as bigger than more, more of your constituents' problems. You see what I'm saying? If you like, yeah, I, 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 I see that, but I'm, but also it's like, there, but there's also this other degree of, um, because I think like there's this this big idea that's like, like like one thing that I don't believe in is like if if like everything was left up to vote, like every single law or every single bill or whatever was just like left up to people majority vote. It's like I don't think, uh, I don't think the majority of the people know what's best mm-hmm. for themselves as far as large policy goes. And so it's like, I don't want my leaders like just going in to just like listen to God knows who about every single problem. I want them, I want them listening to people that are most involved and probably have the best idea of a good solution. Now, what I don't want, which I know what you're saying, I'm really just playing devil's advocate because I do know what you're saying and I think it's a huge problem. And, uh, or I think I know what you're saying, but what I don't want is like, mm-hmm a company to be mm-hmm. able to shift policy so it benefits themselves at the cost of everybody else. Right. But if it benefits the company, but then also happens to benefit everybody else, that's fine. But if it's like, but if it's like, uh, um, you know, say you're a tech company and you convince every, you convince that the internet needs to cost $500 for everybody to use. Cause you're like your Comcast and like everybody needs to pay extra $500 for use and mm-hmm. get that through. And it's like, well, you just, totally limited information and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial ability mm-hmm. to like the entire fucking country because of that yeah i mean i think you like just uh, yeah i mean i think you kind of you know, comcast makes a shit ton of money uh, that's the, the example that you gave is to an effect the argument that he makes in this book and that i'm starting to see as well is they're not advocating for everybody now what's your point about maybe a poor system of everybody voted on everything i also agree with because that's a true democracy where everybody votes on everything and I also think that's a terrible idea because I've met of everybody I've met. I just really wouldn't want to get them all in one room and then make decisions, especially after I read Scott Adams book about mass persuasion and how easy it is to persuade people on emotion. And then they just use logic to kind of rationalize their decision. So then you think, okay, well, I want a few educated individuals to look at these problems and solve these problems because I got a job, I got a, I got a family, I got to do things. I want to elect somebody who's educated, one of the smartest guys I know, and I want him to solve these problems or her. 
But then, and so I like that, but then what happens is those elected people are influenced by people we didn't elect who don't have everybody's best interests in mind. So when JP Morgan comes in, to them, their biggest problem is that they need to make more money for their shareholders. And they need to make more money as a company. So their biggest problem might be taxes or some law that prevents them from going into a new market. And that's a really big problem for them, but that's not a problem for the vast majority of America or the, even the constituents of who they're influencing. And so the issue is that the politicians are really only listening to one or two people that have lots and lots of money who can afford to get more face time with them. And that's why you see, and that's why you see, that's just why you see a lot of politicians going, they just seem to, it just seem, things seem to be working out more and more for wealthy and big corporations. And that is kind of how, that's kind of the reason that this book is outlining, which I tend to agree with. Um, I think that's one component. I think that's one very real component of several. I've got another one that I've been working up and working at through some reading and through some podcast listening is, uh, so, okay. So, okay, I don't know if you saw this, but right now, uh, according to, like, the, the latest Rasmussen poll, okay, so normally the, the black voter approval rating for Trump has been hovering around, like, 15%. And it's actually one of the highest of any Republican president in, like, the last little bit, right? Okay, well, as of this last week, hmm. every single day it was ticking up, and they're now he's now at... 46% approval from black Well, there's voters. a lot of questions I have about that. No Republicans <laughs> who's ever conducting the polls. And, half yeah, that number. go ahead. So this, and this is what I was going to tell you about. I mean, no, it's, it looks legit. It looks very legit. Um, but a huge part of it was that um, Ice Cube came out with a plan for like the BLM, like an actually very tangible mm -hmm. implementable plan and solution for ending systemic racism. Right. And he's like the, one of the first people to do, it, you know? And so mm -hmm. he's like, you know, I'm not talking. I'm like, here, like here, I put this shit on paper. Everyone's saying all this shit, but I put it down on paper and here you go. This is the plan. Well, it got completely ignored by the Democrats mm -hmm. And the only people that picked it up and said we were ready to do something and, and talk about this was the Republicans. So, like, his response, he mm -hmm. came out and said, like, your response to Republicans was so much better than the Democrats. So that's, like, so I think that's a big component of it, right? And Scott Adams was talking about it. It's like, okay, you're right before election time, right? And mm -hmm. you are the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And somebody comes up to you, like, what's, like, one of the biggest motivators? Well, it's fear, right? And so fear is going to get people to show up and vote. If they're afraid that their world is going to end, if, if if, so they show up and vote. So if if the Democrats, in their mind, if you're being strategic, is you don't want a solution to this thing until after the election. Because if, you, if there's a solution to the BLM riots and protests, 
you remove all the fear from people's minds. Even if it hasn't been mm-hmm. enacted yet, the fact that there's one on the way, you just calm everybody down. And you can't calm everybody down before an election. And so, but the Republicans are like, you know, doing that. And so like, so that's, so this is another component of not acting in people's best interests is like, if your base is really fired up about something and they feel like you can do, do, and they feel like you're the only guy to get it done. Well, that is fuel. And like the longer you can keep that problem, but then fired up about that problem mm-hmm. and then like paint somebody else as the enemy. That's mm-hmm. how you're going to keep a major voter base. If you solve the problem, mm-hmm. then they, they are not going to be interested in voting for you. They're like, they're just out mm-hmm. of interest because they're, you've already solved what they mm-hmm. were concerned about. And their memory is going to be short about it. You know what I mean? And so it's like, there's also this idea that if you want to stay in power, you have to keep mm-hmm. these problems to exist. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what point to go for you. To, uh, I don't know what the sort of the, the overall, is there a point you're going for on that? Or is that sort of just some ideas? What? Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm explaining. Ah, the I see. Like, okay, I'm, there it is. I'm going okay. further into the yeah, reasons that. that the um, politicians be like don't always act in our best interest. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that was just like another example because, like, I think the corporations thing mm-hmm. is one, but yeah, no, it's it's all like looking at incentive structure. Like, where are the incentives coming from for these people, mm-hmm. and what's like if you were to, like, what would the optimal strategy be to win in this field? And so it's like mm-hmm. you have to, and if and like the like ideally mm-hmm. you'd make the optimal strategy. Yeah, I think the folks. issue so it's kind of not. It's, so it's very complicated to incentivize. I think it that the, way. the issue of where they like you're saying like they don't really solve problems because they want some problems to stay around because then people will keep voting for you, and you, and you want to keep people afraid because that's one of the biggest motivators. That's absolutely true. I don't know how you get rid of that because that's sort of that exists by nature of a vote. So if you want people to vote for you then you're going to use some sort of tactic like that, you know, and I don't know how you get rid of that other than, you know, having some media source call you out on it. You know what I mean? And then having some, having people just go, you know what, this guy actually is always getting us riled up and this has never solved this problem. And they've, he's, and we've elected him five times, you know, so I don't know how you get rid of that other than doing that. Uh Here's an example. Maxine Waters has been the congresswoman for mm-hmm. South Central LA for like 47 years. And it's the like one of the most been one wow. of the most violent districts in the entire US this entire time. And she's been in charge mm-hmm. for 47 years. Mm-hmm. And it's like she keeps getting elected. Mm-hmm. And it's like why do you keep electing this person that has just not made anything better for you for 47 years? It's like mm-hmm. well because they because she's mm-hmm. instilled that that like, is, it would be even worse if I wasn't she's here. The kind of thing is that be the argument she would going have. To utter oblivion, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm like I'm putting in so much effort for you guys to just keep you where you're at, right? And they go, well, shit. Right. Like, you Meanwhile, she's else, just doing over, all like, the wrong action. So fragile. Like, it yeah, will, I don't know how you stop you elect anybody else. That one, that one, I'm not sure. The money one, that one, I think seems to be a money in politics seems to be a little bit more solvable issue. You know what I mean? Uh, 
Uh, they all have to be poor. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah, so what would you do? Um, just make, make laws? I mean, it would have to be a very complex solution. But to me, it seems important. Now, some ideas that I've heard, which I liked, was um, there you know, being a campaign cap. So there's only so much money you can spend in a campaign. Um, so you can get less. You just get less donations, essentially. Then there's also limiting the amount of weeks. Also heard an idea of limiting the amount of weeks of campaigning. I think that would really only work for representatives and senators because I think that the time for campaigning is actually advantageous for a president if you don't have as much money, just because you have more time to physically move around the country and talk to people as opposed to running a bunch of ads with all of your money. Um, And then to me, the other, yeah, he spent $200 million of his like $80 $80 billion fortune to just get like 5% of the vote, which by the way, who the hell was voting for Michael Bloomberg? Everybody knew what he was doing. They were yeah. seeing all the ads. Like who was like, Oh man. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like those people are a little too easy to influence. I think <laughs> if you can literally just buy their FaceTime through an app and then through YouTube and just that's how you get their vote. It's like, okay guys, come on, be a little better than that. But, um, I mean, Michael Bloomberg does have a pretty good track record. Yeah, really? Like, I don't think yeah, I don't know, I don't know anything about him. For him. Like, yeah, he's just buying your vote, but it's not like he's just a nobody. Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he's got a... I think yeah, he was I think he was mayor... I don't want to say what I think he was. I, I think he was mayor of somewhere, like New York or something, but... Um, yeah, he's, he's got yeah. a... Yeah, he's got okay, a... sure. I mean, he's got a track record. It's not like he just is a billionaire that showed up. Like, he's been in politics. And then just bought his way into the election. So, like, I don't know. I would have, if I was, I would have, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, he, there we got Joe. I, I thought well, he either way, the other way I'd probably solve it. I'd like to see something is making donations a little bit more above board. And so I almost wonder if you make, so where people can tell exactly who's giving you money for what. And I almost wonder if you say, hey, anyone can donate money to you and we're not really gonna regulate it, like the ceiling is gonna be pretty high, but you have to communicate every single, where every single dollar is coming from, like who it's coming from, what corporation it's coming from. And I feel like in that way, and if you don't put any sort of, if you don't, if you don't restrict it so much, then people are less, like they're not really gonna hide it you know, and so if you don't restrict it, then people won't hide it, and then you can tell a little bit easier who is being bought by what corporation. You see, someone's being bought, paid, got paid a hundred million dollars by JP Morgan. You go, okay, well, if we see, if we start seeing them voting for bills that are just absolutely wholly in the corporation's best interest, then we're gonna know, okay, this person doesn't seem to be advocating for us. But yeah, even if there's no law against it, though, wouldn't it just be enforced by the fact that you go, oh, hey, I'm a Democrat, and if I say accept money from the NRA, it's going to look bad. Well, I think so you would create a lot of this. If, like, in that specific like, instance, why not? And they need to donate to that. Create, you would create so a, be like a amendment or a section that would include basically whatever foundations you have in your name. So if the money's...
Yeah, but at what point? At what point are you able to determine between like truly altruistic foundations that would be hindered by that, that aren't necessarily related to politicians, and which ones that are? Like, like, like I'm just saying, it gets when you get to the policy level mm-hmm. and you're trying to stop people from hiding things, it can get just absurdly complicated and nuanced in law. Yeah. So and should we give up on it's, it? It's like, like, I just think it's it's just. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't try it. I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about other things that could happen because you know also you read Malcolm Bradwell's book. I think it's like which one is like David and Goliath maybe or something. But he talks about how um, people have like uh, like it's like the idea that like um, people always say like well if you get rid of guns only criminals will have guns and it like turns out like if all the criminals were buying or like or or if the if you if you make drugs illegal then they'll just get drugs illegally right but it like turns out if you like like people associations with how they do things are so strong that like if like literally they're like they go to the same weed store every single time and that weed store closes down they stop smoking weed Mm -hmm. because like they don't switch. Like they don't just go get it somewhere else. Like that's what the Malcolm Gladwell is arguing. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's possible the same thing's true for politicians, where it's like you get rid of their one avenue. I mean, and just like don't switch to new avenue. That's. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's an argument for it. So I think that's what I don't like in general is. Yeah. No, I know yeah. it is. I'm not. I'm yeah. not really pro. Break down the issues. I'm just playing Jack Marino. We talk about politics. We know nothing sides. about. <laughs> But uh, I mean, so in general, what I don't like is someone goes, this is a problem. And then then it gets swamped down by, oh, that's just so hard. I mean, it's so nuanced. It's so hard to, you know, solve that problem. And then that's why we got to do some other problem. And I usually don't like those arguments because that would be how you would just, that's how you would, that's how you would convince people to just keep letting you do what you want to do. They say, hey, you know what? I'm fed up with you getting so much money from corporations. And then you just go on to explain about, well, it'd be so hard because of this, that, and the other way to get money out of it, and this, and that, and the other thing. And really, that's not a problem. Really, the issue is crime on the streets. And that, I know exactly how to solve. People go, oh, okay, yeah, that would be really hard to solve. And then the politicians can keep doing what they're doing because we just give up. They're like, oh, well, that's really hard. So I've never been deterred by something being difficult. That's why I think this money thing, it seems worth the time it seems worth the challenge to get the money out of politics or at least make it more obvious how you're being influenced. And so people can say, oh, well, this person is not acting in my best interest. They're acting in the best interest of the corporations. Like maybe someone is getting all this money from corporations and then they're helping the majority of Americans and their constituents. Maybe that's the case. And so then that way, it's not really a problem that he's getting this money. Because he's actually acting in our best interest. But then if he's not, you go, well, yeah, you're being paid so much money by a special interest group. Of course, you're not acting in our best interest. So I almost wonder if it's not so much getting the money out, but just making it public where, how much and where the money is coming from to these politicians at all scales. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there is. I think there is. I think there is though, like uh, a few websites that I've seen that like really work hard to break down to who has paid who, like, and they're really detailed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that exists to some degree. I mean, it's not very publicized, so then your issue would be that it's like not very known about if even if it does exist, right? So that's right. supposed to really eliminate the problem. If that were true, um, nobody, that would be pretty exists, outstanding. And then I would hope that people with news uh, media uh, would would talk about that all the time. But yeah, media is a really separate topic. Media is anything. Most that, media kind of sucks. I don't know. But, it just they're bad. But you see what I'm saying? Well, and then the hard sides. the hard part with that, even if there was a website theoretically, yeah. You have super PACs where the money just comes from the super PAC and the, that, the PAC doesn't have to disclose the, who put the money in the PAC. You know what I mean? And so, like, even if you have journal, like, investigators who, like, follow these people around and tell you, they say, well, mm-hmm. I don't technically know that they got money from uh, Chase Bank or Bank of America. I don't really know that, but based on, you know, me following around these people i kind of figured out it's probably he's probably getting donated that you know what i mean but then how does and if there was a legitimate media source who was actually wanting to tell you that information then they would not be able to cite that because that's sort of a hunch and not really evidence you know what i'm saying and um, the thing the thing about media is that they all kind of suck and i'm actually i kind of mm-hmm think mm-hmm. that we as humans are contributing to it being a problem it being so crap right now because at least for me i i literally i googled investigative journal like best investigative journalists media outlets there's like the reveal texas tribune they're all nonprofits essentially and the stories they run are usually pretty specific and have good data and they're not necessarily made to enrage you or something and it's not all about the same topics you know it's not all pop culture news essentially i just stuff but i don't listen to it it's boring so i don't watch it but then if i get some headline that's like some you know mm-hmm. trump's gonna destroy america or i watch youtube and it's like biden's gonna destroy america then it's like well, well let me click on this you know what i mean so it's like we're kind of contributing to that because we don't really consume the media outlets that are giving us what we say we want <laughs> but we're consuming the media outlets that we hate on so much so I think that there is some onus on us as consumers too. Okay, so big issue with like uh, news articles, uh, with Twitter, with uh, cable news. There's not enough time to really dive into issues, but with kind of longer form media like podcasts, you know, you can have an hour and a half podcast that's on one issue that really dives into like way into the depths, and so that's a really beneficial thing and I, I mean I don't know I just think it's as far as um, getting accurate news it's one of the best ways yeah I, th- uh, I think it I think it helps with people explaining I think it helps with understanding people's points accurate news I'm not sure about but I think it helps with uh, actually fully understanding someone's point because they have enough time to give background you know what I mean? Like someone could still long form communicate, you know, communicate things that aren't true. But at the very least, you you actually understand what they're trying to communicate because you have enough time. And there's someone asking them questions. 
So I think it's I think it's I think it's good to hear news from that source as well, but I don't think that it's inherently always truthful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess no. It's not definitely not. It's it's okay. You are correct. It, uh, just because they like you can lie for an hour and a half, or you can lie in five minutes. It, I guess that's like doesn't necessarily make it truthful. But at least when somebody talks for a hour and a half yeah like you get to fully understand it and i think you're gonna make a better evaluation of the validity of the point than you would uh in five minutes because especially to when it's in interview form there's two people talking and then you Mm -hmm. like hearing them like come to the conclusions together Mm -hmm. well i think too what's really nice long form deal is someone it's really hard for someone to fake uh passion or to fake something over three hours which joe rogan points out that's why he likes interviewing some of these you interview some of these political candidates because you know you can you can fake it on a stage you know what you really care about and what's really going on you can fake it it rallies you know but it's tough when someone's questioning you to and it's in just a conversation format it's tough to fake what you really care about and what you really think for three hours which i think that's I think that's super true. I think that's the best. I think that's the best argument for Joe Rogan interviewing Trump and Biden. <laughs> yeah, no, it would, that would be amazing. I mean, you just watched, I mean, just watch what we just did with Kanye. Like he just, that was, I, that was the best bit interview with Kanye I've ever seen. And Joe barely said anything, but he's such, Joe is, the nice thing about Joe is I think, and Kanye says this in the interview is a lot of people that interview him have chips on their shoulder and it mm-hmm. feels like they're trying to get digs that they're a high school person that they were jealous of and they're turning him into Kanye. Mm-hmm. And but Joe is so famous in his own right that he's just he doesn't have he's not really intimidated and he doesn't feel the need to be in the spotlight um all the time and be like the star of the show. Like he's just he's just he's kind of so self assured that he doesn't that he can let somebody else just dominate the scene for three hours mm-hmm. and not not feel offended or taken back or jealous or anything like that like he's he's just so rock solid in his own right mm-hmm. that he's comfortable letting other people do that which is a, a super rare ability to have because like mm-hmm. you're with Con- like it's like you got Kanye West on it's like oh, I want Kanye I want to like jump in and be like I want to show him cool or something like I, mean, I would mm-hmm. I mean I love Kanye I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. like the harder you try to be cool, the less you are cool. But uh, mm-hmm. it's like, man, I just that would be. Dude, yeah. One day, one day, we'll get him on the podcast. We'll get him on the podcast. The world's best podcast. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. We'll get Kanye on, and then you can just fawn over him for an hour and a half. Who? Who would my? <laughs> what would my dream podcast be? It would be Kanye West. Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, <laughs> yeah, Eric basically. Weinstein, Scott Adams, Brett Weinstein. Um, who else is I, good? Uh, I Naval love how these Rodicon, are all podcasts. Naval Rodicon, are, and this is yeah. one big podcast. I just we're just all hanging out and we do some <laughs> I that we do some ayahuasca and mm-hmm. record for seven hours. No, <laughs> seven hours. Let's go. You just, you just like, wow, where's Joe Rogan? He's been gone for two hours in a field. And you're like, and then he comes back with some grand insight. We all have, we all have GoPros strapped to us. (laughs) Oh my God. Follow whichever one they want. Uh 
Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then they all have a mic. Yeah, the microphones and the GoPros see exactly what they're doing the whole time. That I would actually watch that. If it was all of those people and that was well, actually and us, what they were obviously. doing. We're part of this. Yeah. I'm just saying if I was the consumer, I would I would watch I would even if it was seven hours, I would watch that. I would just slowly chip I would slowly consume that because that would be outstanding. Dude, plus we'd be tripping with Jordan Peterson. Man, sometimes I feel like at the end of a trip I, I come up with some you know, I usually come away with something that helps me, some philosophical thing. But then it's almost it's always so hard to interpret, you know, to articulate what I'm saying. But then imagine hanging out with Jordan Peterson. And then he is articulating his experience. He'd be like, dude, <laughs> he would, I feel like he would just come away with just a lot more articulable trip and lessons. And he could articulate what I am trying to say. That would be the dopest part, I think. Yeah, he might be the, one of the most articulate people I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, and engaging to listen to. Oh, that's that's just kind of cool. Like, I mean, and I just, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard someone that's so precise with their words. Mm-hmm. And even when even when people think they've got him or he's messed up, it's like no, you just you didn't understand how good that sentence actually was. <laughs> like that reference is actually perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's like, which is the thing is though, as far as persuading people, it doesn't matter. You don't need to be that accurate with your words. Super useful when you're actually when you're trying to break down ideas and come to a conclusion with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to persuade something of somebody of something, it doesn't, you don't even, you don't need to be that accurate with language. No, not even close. But if you're I mean, trying what... to push the limits of ideas, then preciseness of speech is so important. It's not even funny. Right. If you're trying well, if you're trying to create a new idea and you're trying to actually solve a problem, then you want to be very articulate in what you're trying to say because you're brainstorming, you're coming up with solutions, and then you're writing down a bill or your, or your idea or you're just trying to create something. Those are situations where facts matter immensely and being articulate matters immensely. But if you're just trying to persuade people, then really it's just emotional. That's, that's really all you need is you just need to persuade people emotionally. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter what you say. You just got to get them riled up in some way. Which is Yeah, I... Which isn't like necessarily a good thing, but it's good to know, I think, because I think a lot of people have this idea where like, well, I'd like both candidates to clearly tell me all their policies and explain to me why they would work. And it's like, okay, well, that's just not going to happen. And you're just being absolutely influenced by the emotional ways that they're influencing you. You're not like you don't like you're rationalizing if you believe you understand their policies and think that their policies will be more effective than the other person's policies. That's just a rash, that's a gross rationalization because there is no way that somebody could understand, first of all, each candidate's plan on climate change, healthcare, immigration, and gun control. And if all of those, even, and if any of those policies are even legitimate or if they've even thought about them more than like a few hours. So there's no way that you fully understand all of those. You have a full understanding of economics, full understanding of you know of immigrant immigration issue full understanding of all gun and weapon control issues and solutions in the world and are very easily able to tell and compare these solutions as what would work in america just not i've never met a single person who could do that (laughs) so the people who are saying oh i just care more about the policies that's rationalization you're emotionally persuaded to like this person 
for whatever reason. And then you rationalize saying you think their policies are better. So that, I didn't know that until recently. So I kind of read Scott Adams' book, Win Bigly. But I think he really pointed that out pretty well. That is a great read. Well, dude. Good episode. Uh, We will record again soon. And thanks for listening, everybody. And hope you have a good day. Heck yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye.